Welcome to the Conversations with Commerce Next podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Commerce Next and presented by Wonderkin. In these times, insights on modern post-COVID-era consumer attitudes, behaviors, and norms has become the new life's work for brands and agencies alike. How can retailers find opportunities for growth in a consumer environment that is recovering from widespread disruption? What strategies and tactics can their agency partners bring to bear to get them there? In this episode, I meet Ryan Urban, the founder of Wonderkind, and Seth Goldman, the CEO of Urban Stems. These two founders share their analysis and experience regarding the latest trends in retail marketing, customer engagement, and employee empowerment. Together, they discuss their respective career paths, how finding and retaining great talent has changed and evolved, and ultimately, how connecting all of these dots leads to better customer experience. So what we want is just like Facebook promises to tailor the messaging to the right customers uh, with the way that they tag uh, different customer sets, we wanted that with our other channels with email. Let's listen in now. Ryan and Seth, welcome to Conversations with Commerce Next. How are you both doing? Ryan, where are you this morning? Are you? Uh, where am I finding you today? At the top of the world, World Trade Center, 474. Fantastic. And Seth, you're in New York City as well, yeah? I am. Uh, I am at home, though, just on the second floor. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Closer to the streets, where the action is, right? Ryan, let's jump right in. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your professional journey, your personal professional journey, what you do at Wonderkin, and uh, let's start there. All right. So, hey, everybody. I'm, I'm Ryan, CEO, founder of Wonderkin, and we're uh, we're about a decade in, and this is this is kind of my life's work. I'm I'm 41 now, and before Wonderkin, I, I kind of look at that as as my my teenage years. So, I ran marketing at Bonobos, a few other e-commerce companies. I have my own e-commerce company, but really, like my my body work has been on Wonderkin about the last 10 years. Yeah, we've been um, really focused on just just making making things a better experience for 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 people, consumers. So, making making marketing a vibe, uh, making a pretty cool experience, and we've accomplished a lot. Last ten years, and I think what we're going to accomplish in the next eighteen months will even be more than than the previous ten years. So now it's uh now it's really the fun part. We're um we're really working well together. We got our leadership team working working really well for a long time, and this is the the best time I've been having. So uh, it's it's been been a great ride, and now uh you know watch, watch out what happens next. Well, fantastic. Let's, you know, were you always interested in the marketing function or the sales function? Was that always your vibe? Like starting out, you, I'm, a, you know, I'm, you- I'm a true marketer. It's, it's, it's my ethos. Um, I love, I love brands. I, I love, I love being a consumer of brands that just make great products and services. I, I love like love brands that really, really care about this stuff. And I, I have the opportunity to build software and services to support um, new brands and, and great iconic brands is something I love. I, I love the science and art aspect of marketing. So I like having, representing something as a brand and, and then you make products and then you have to communicate that. And, and then there's a lot of science be, when how you convey convey marketing, convey advertising, and doing it in a way that's kind of thoughtful forward. Uh, it's it's there's so much so much nuance to it, and uh, I really like it. Oh, fantastic, Seth! What about yourself? What's your what's your background? What's your what's your story? And and what do you do at Urban Stems? Yeah, so Seth Goldman, CEO of Urban Stems. We are an online flower and gifting company. We were founded seven years ago on Valentine's Day, which is an interesting day to start a flower company. My personal journey, uh, kind of like Ryan, a, a tale of, of two parts of my career. First part, I was in professional services, consulting, private equity. When I was in investing, I started to meet some of the folks who were running the companies we were investing in, and, and I thought that their jobs were really interesting, really dynamic, and I wanted to go to the other side of the table. 
So I used business school as an opportunity to switch gears and got into e-commerce and fell in love with it. I've been a part of three amazing companies, first with a company called Quidzy, which was sold to Amazon, then with a, a terrific company called HelloFresh, uh, which uh, went public and has been very successful. And now with Urban Stems, always in products and services meant to make life a bit more convenient uh, and easier for people. Sometimes retail has been described as an accidental career. Is that the way, I mean, you, you've talked about your origin story and kind of navigating. Are you? Do you consider yourself a, a retailer, a technologist, a consumer advocate? What what What's that kind of prime driver that's been the thread of consistency throughout your career and your life? Yeah, I, I love the part of the job, which is interacting with consumers. And, and what I love about D2C is how much feedback you can get. And that feedback really helps you uh, make the product and service better. And it also keeps you humble because no matter how well you design, whether it's your physical product or your digital interface, someone will come back to you and tell you how terrible you did on something. And that, that feedback, that unvarnished consumer feedback helps you get better and improve at a faster rate than I think anything else. And I, I love that. And I've always loved working with products that are tangible, that you can, you can pick up, that you can try to make better. And it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Ryan, let's talk about WonderKid. Give us a sense of scope, what you do. You've touched on it in your, in your kind of opening remarks and your origin story. But uh, tell us, uh, tell the listeners, tell the folks out there all about WonderKid. What do you do? What a space do you occupy? Why was mm-hmm. it that you thought there was a need for a shop like yours and, and scope of work? Yeah, I think. We're a company of marketers and we, 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 build, we build stuff for marketers. So well, I'll, I'll kind of add on to what Seth was saying. We get to be the stewards of consumers across all brands. So, and our clients, our, our clients are brands, but our, our first customers are actually their customers. So we, we oftentimes don't listen to our clients. Like even represent consumers in a really simple way. Like, hey, every brand wants to uh, have a have a, a big email list uh, or uh, a, te- a text file. So uh, we had to like kind of create the standard of like, this is how you interact with consumers on when it's an opportunity to opt an email list. And this is what an email program should be like. Uh, this is, so uh, just even something simple like, like that, it's, it's very important to us then. And it's like, okay, cool. We, we kind of, we got a good system in place for, for brands of what's, what's a, a proper way um, to, to kind of offer opportunities to, to join a list and, and how you have that. And then it's like, all right, well now let's, let's make it better. So and we're like, Hey, we started really trying to scale personalization for one-to-one marketing. Every, everyone on the consumer side really likes when they get stuff that's really for them and it performs well for brands. Uh, there was an issue of scale. Uh, so like, Oh, let's, let's figure out how we, how we scale that and add, add more to that. So um, like uh, when we started, there was a lot of people would add the cart and you maybe get an email from brand with, with the, the things in your cart and that's very convenient for people. We pulled everyone. We pulled a lot of our, our clients, just consumers in general and people like what are, what kind of messages do you like generally really enjoy receiving? Or what would you like to receive? And we started building technology around that. So things like even the items that you just browse, if the, the price changed on an item you looked at, if something you looked at was out of stock and it comes back in stock, if something you looked at now there's only a few left and you, you want to want to know about that when new arrivals come and you like to see the ones that are just kind of, kind of made for you. So it's like one of the things that people really enjoy receiving and are, are, are valuable and, and convenient and enjoyable and uh, build that and build that at scale and do it in a, in a nice, elegant way that represents brands. So, so we, we got to, we got to do a lot of that. Um, now we're really like kind of text as a, as a channel, we're really creating some, some great standards for brands of how to really treat people like say you have a YouTube channel, you have subscribers, but oftentimes the marketers will treat like their email list as a list. It's like, you really got to, 
be very thoughtful and treat people as subscribers and, and understand like what's, what's, what's really, really nice for, for your, your subscribers uh, to receive and, and creating that across the board and, and creating an ecosystem uh, there. Now I think we're doing a, a really good job of that. Uh, and now we're evolving uh, to really represent brands where we, at first it's really told you focus on our brand's customers. Now it's, it's showing brands how to be proper brands, express themselves as a brand, how to elevate their brand. So now we're, we're, we're getting to that level. And, um, and separately, I'll, I'll answer a different question, what, what we're doing as a people as Wonderkin. So that's, uh, I think, equal as important. Well, and tell me a little bit, I think you operate on both sides of the ocean, right? You have a European office. So how many people, uh, how many people are you? What's your kind of scope and scale? Just kind of that. that yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're close to 600 Wonderkins at, at this point. Wow. We, we have a, a tremendous office in New York. I, I think it's a, the, the best place in the world. Where we are right now, it's a really special place to do good work. We have we have a great great place in Indianapolis, and really representing um, the, that city. Uh, everything to me outside New York is the Midwest or the South. So I don't people will correct me, but uh, that's that's also that's also terrific. And in London, uh, we'll probably be approaching 100 people. I just came back from there last week. Their their energy over there is really good. They're they they're, they're they're coming back fast. So. They're, they're pretty excited. So, and uh, as a company, it's really, really important to expand your your talent pools. And that that's sort of every company will tell you. It's like getting great talent and developing talent is is, is everything. Like just having a great presence in a, a different city and different. So, the Indianapolis one was really important. I like obviously could have went to California, but that's you can get some people, some in New York. Like we want, we, we want people who like have a have a different different culture, different mm, ethos. So, uh, we, we we got a few different ones. Seth, let's talk about uh, urban STEM. So I think 48 states, uh, 21 plus cities. Tell us all about the origin story. You got to deal with Vogue. It's very. Ex- I mean, I, I, we were talking off mic. Your site is is wonderful. It's it's a beautiful site. Uh, but just talk us talk to us uh, and the people about urban STEMs. Where you operate, how you go to market, what's the business model? So urban STEMs was founded on the principle that gifting, especially floral and living gifts, were not meeting up to the experience expectations of consumers. And we really wanted to create something different, something special. And we started in Washington, D.C., quickly expanded to New York. And we have these really great cities where you can get a delivery. You can order up till, I think, 3 or 4 p.m., get a delivery same day, multiple delivery slots each day. And we want to bring that to as many cities as possible. Uh, In addition to that, around three years ago, we partnered with Vogue. That's been a tremendous partnership. We launched our nationwide next day service. So anywhere outside of Alaska and Hawaii, and we're, we're sorry we can't get there, you have the ability to have any of our beautiful bouquets and plants shipped next day to your door. That was a landmark in our company's growth and acceleration and has allowed us to grab a lot of data so we can figure out which cities we want to jump into next. And it's that combination of next day everywhere and same day specific targeted cities. Um, that's how we're thinking about growing the organization. And and from a product perspective, I mean, it's it's not like it wasn't a category that that was it was a fair, somewhat crowded category, right? There's lots of florists services, but you found yourself this niche of of being that same day. And what did Vogue find interesting about your business? Why did that partnership come together yeah. from from their perspective and, yeah, and so yours as well? In terms of number of participants or competitors, you have thousands of local florists, each servicing a very small geographic area. You then have a number of large players like FTD and 1-800 who are aggregators of those services. And they they mostly collect orders and push those to the local florists. Uh, Local florists are actually declining in number, although some consolidation is happening. 
what Vogue saw in us was a brand that was really pushing the envelope on design and innovation of the product itself. By centralizing ownership of the product and inventory, we're able to come up with designs that were much more interesting, unique, and exciting and offer those nationwide. One of the challenges of having a design that's offered by three or 4,000 individual florists is everyone's kind of going to have their own take on it. And so it's it's impossible to promise that that same bouquet will look, right. uh, well, that bouquet will look the same in Maine and Memphis and Minnesota and California. We'll be right back with our interview with Seth Goldman and Ryan Urban right after this message. Wonderkin is a leading performance marketing engine that delivers tailored experiences at scale. Digital businesses use Wonderkin to remember who users are better than ever before, allowing them to deliver high-performing one-to-one messages on websites, through emails and texts, and in ads at a scale that's not otherwise possible. Wonderkin drives $1.2 billion annually in directly attributable revenue for top e-commerce brands like Uniqlo, Sonos, and HelloFresh, often ranking as a top three revenue channel in their own analytics. Learn more at wonderkin.co. That's wonderkin.co. And I don't know if you've ever seen Urban Stem. The, the packaging, the experience is so nice. And um, I, flowers are, are super underrated. Just uh, even in my house, I have them. I have them on my floor, on the entrance. I have them in my kitchen, in my room, on my bedroom floor. Like it's, it, I, I'm probably on your shirt and your pants. <laughs> my shirt bands. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's. I've, I've never met anyone when they have flowers around. It's not, 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 not a little happier. Let's let's merge these two thoughts here, these two streams. Seth, what were you looking to solve when you engaged with Wonderkind and, and Ryan? How, what brought you two together, and what problem or opportunity were you looking for that that they that they solved for you or brought to the table? Yeah. So the generic problem that we and all companies are looking to solve, I think, is diversification of your marketing. So having more channels through which you can advertise to customers, talk to them about your brand. The specific problem is personalization and customization. So what we want is just like Facebook promises to tailor the messaging to the right customers uh, with the way that they tag uh, different customer sets. We wanted that with our other channels with email, with uh, et cetera. And they were able to provide us that. And that's really cool. So if you looked at a specific product when we, but you don't buy it, we want to be able to send you that product, tell you a little bit more about it in an email. If uh, you live on the West coast and we want to push specific inventory uh, to you or specific products versus the, the West coast, uh, they were really able to do that. And that customization and personalization is important both because we are a perishable product and because we are a, a highly giftable product. So those were the two specific areas where where we really wanted to partner with Ryan and team and where they've come up uh, very, very highly. Oftentimes, I always get asked the question and an venture capitalists ask the question the same way, like, hey, what are you trying to solve or what problem are you trying to solve? I see very extremely rarely. Are, are the best companies in the world solving problems. It's usually like they have a vision for something important, they're building something, or they're like really maximizing opportunity. Uh, solving a problem is like, once you solve the problem, you can solve that problem in a week, maybe six months, like, and then it's like, hey, do we pack up and go home and like not have a company anymore? So it's uh, almost every kind of company is, is really like going to maximize an opportunity or, or having a vision for something to building something special or taking something that exists and really making it great or building something new, taking something zero to one. So, um, so that, that's that's what we're 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 looking to do too. It's um, 
You know, the ads on Facebook and Instagram are very good. I enjoy the advertising experience. I really enjoy the advertising experience in, in magazines, Vogue. Like that is part of the content, right? Uh, you pick up, a, but like if you go to Vogue's website or you go to uh, weather.com or CNN, the ads are not really content. It's not a vibe and it should be. And, and we, we want to make sure that happens. So we represent publishers and we represent commerce companies. So we want to not only have ads that are for people, like when we do that, but it should be a vibe. It should be, hey, you should go to some sites to really experience that as part of the content. And, um, and consumers should really have a very few brands, even look like iconic brands like Nike and Apple. Very few of those iconic brands have relationships with even a percent of their customers. And that's a huge opportunity. So I don't think it's a problem. Uh, does Nike have a problem? Like, oh, they don't have relationships. Nike's doing pretty good. But I, I think <laughs> they would like to have a, right. a much closer connection with some of their, their best customers or, or most of their customers. So uh, we're, we're looking to, to build some stuff like that or ecosystems to come. Well, let, let me follow that thread for a little bit uh, when we talk about the future. This isn't a history lesson. We're not going to talk about the COVID era, so to speak. But undeniably, uh, and you work on both sides of the ocean. You've got a front row seat to great clients uh, like Urban mm-hmm. Stems. You, you're understanding customers. What, if anything, in your mind has, has changed or accelerated thanks to the COVID era, this, this 18 months to 24 months that, that the world has gone through? Are you looking at different perspectives? Are you thinking the customers are acting or behaving different? Give me your, give me your perspective on that. Uh, it, it, it definitely definitely pulled things, I'd say, five years forward. Um, the, the, the main thing is uh, people now are, are comfortable purchasing different consumables, groceries, regular day-to-day items in their house, clothing. Most people didn't really purchase a lot of clothing online, furniture. I think people have like taken their homes and designed their homes more seriously. I think, um, I think generally uh, people started dressing better, <laughs> including, including men. But I think more comfortable doing different things that they, yeah. they haven't done before. And you know what? I, I think uh, you're going to have... a Commerce and in-store commerce retail really explode uh, this year, and it's a real focus on experience. That's how you win. It's like that's how if you you create a really good experience and and not it's not about like doing site-wide discounts or sales. It's like hey, you have great products for experience. I've seen a rapid change in supply chain. So companies where it take them six months to get products, some could do it in in a month, a week. So major changes in supply chain, major changes in like how you, how you market. A lot more collaboration with the brands, a lot more collaborations with you see influencers. It's a, a, lot, a lot more product collaboration. So I, products are getting better, which is when you sell a lot of things online, you can't have a high return rate. So it's a, so I see products and services really improving. I see consumers really purchasing way more and way more different things. Uh, I think consumerism, it's going to kind of really, really rapidly increase. I, I like when people buy stuff. Uh, people like when they buy stuff, too. So. Uh, especially the stuff's good quality at a, at a good price and the fast. So. Do you think customer expectations, Ryan, have gone up, down, or or sideways? In I, I, I think now now people want sometimes want to get stuff in an hour. Your, your expectation for food delivery that's been a big change. So like now every brand you can order food. Like in New York City, we've been ordering food at 3 a.m. all the time, and now a lot of brands are available. I think the expectations for how that arrives. The, the quality, the package quality food, that, that's gone up a lot too. I, I also think that's a that's tremendous for restaurants having that opportunity now. Uh, and in New York, that you have all the places open up outside, that's cool too. So it's great more opportunities for for restaurants and stuff locally as well. That's that's been one of my favorite things. New York's the best I've ever seen it now. Interesting, Seth. You know, I was speaking to a, uh, a global strategist, Roger Martin, and he described. I was asking him about basically the same question. And he said, you know, you, you, you probably should think of consumer behaviors as a decaying asset on your balance sheet. In other words, what they did before isn't necessarily what they're going to do post-COVID. And we, we really didn't see a circuit breaker on consumer behavior like this 
for a while. But again, not a history lesson, but as we look forward to what looks like a great recovery around the world over time, how are you seeing the retail environment and, and, and how are you seeing gearing up for the opportunities and, and how are you thinking about the future for urban stems? I will build on what Ryan said. I think really we think about it through the lens of what we do. And there are a couple of big questions that if we can get the answer to those right can help us accelerate our business. The first is what Ryan said about that same day delivery. That became less important during the peak of the pandemic. People working from home, they were home to receive packages. Uh, they saw things from Amazon taking going from same day or next day to two, three, four, five days, certain things being deprioritized during the pandemic. I think as Amazon shifts back to speed, it'll be interesting to see how the consumer adapts and becomes more demanding again of that. That is important for us to recognize as we think about building those same day operations. How much does it matter that your flowers can get there in three hours versus tomorrow or the next day after that? Because it, it could have gone the other way, right, Seth? I mean, it could have been consumers uh, saying, well, I, I, I didn't really need it that fast after all. Like I, my life continued and I didn't need it yeah. that fast. But you know what I mean? And a lot of things you don't, right? But Amazon gives it to you. And at, at that option value, you'll take it, especially since they've eliminated so much of the cost yeah, in the there friction. that yeah, yeah. you can't, yeah. like I always thought, could I start up a company that shipped things directly from China, but you had to wait six or eight weeks. There's just not a lot, enough cost to strip out of the system that the consumer is willing to take that trade off. I think consumers are less price sensitive now. And, and the price on Amazon are, are not, Amazon's not the cheapest price for almost anything anymore. So uh, I, I think quality, quality is, 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 is getting, is, is getting way, way more important, which, which it should. So, yeah, I, I've heard that before that uh, I've talked to other retailers who see, and this was a trend pre-COVID, but that may have been accelerated as well is, is kind of a, uh, a drive to quality versus a drive to mass, right? That kind of differentiation in retail between, you know, value and, and, and luxury and experience and efficiency, right? Those kind of different yeah, things. Look at this call, like that podcast I've turned where there's a video element to it and it can be put on YouTube. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's way more context. It's way more meaningful that we're as, as a business, we can, all our calls with clients are regular calls. Now they're video calls. So now we'll have that in addition to being in person, it's, it's going to be way more human. So I, I really like this at brand now, like urban Sims could some of their best customers, especially the business customers, they can have video conversation now. And, and uh, it's more meaningful. I, I do WhatsApp video voicemail most for people. I did them a little bit pre now. Now I do them very regularly. So it's a, uh, it's like you play chess, you, you leave some of the video voicemail and they leave you back. It's, it's, it's really nice. We feel connected to everybody. So I think this is being remote force us to come ways to be more connected. And then we're, as you kind of join together in person, you, you keep all those things we learned from being remote. Yeah. And, and I, I would build on that. I'd say that the remote concept is the second big game changer. We, are hiring people that are not in our two core cities. We are allowing people to work remotely, likely indefinitely to some degree. We are, we're all facing that. And I think that those are the things that require services like Urban Stems, whether you're buying flowers or another gift on someone's first day, getting something from the company, especially if they're not there in person, can make a big impact. Uh, when you are, I think there are going to be a lot of companies that are no longer flying uh, to go pitch their their services. So I, I have no idea, if, Ryan. I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I could see certain sales calls going permanently to Zoom as opposed to someone getting on a plane and flying to meet the customer. Maybe for you guys, you're you're not there yet, 
Um, but I could certainly see, especially oh, there's just a lot where you can you can get a lot done. And then then in addition, like hey, then maybe a kickoff. You you come in person, you meet them, you have you have dinner, you get to really know them know them deeper. But maybe you don't have to like uh, before. Maybe the sales would be in person, the kickoff five things. So I, I actually rather do the kickoff in person. So it, I think that 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 changed that up. You talk about like kind of working working at uh, kind of adjustments being remote. Like on Friday afternoon, no one wants to take Zoom calls. So uh, we, we wound up having a policy of that. Then we wound up kind of changing our operating hour guidelines from um, a lot of tech companies that have 10 to 6, some are 9 to 5. We wound up ending Friday at 1, which means no internal meetings. And we add an extra hour Monday, Thursday. So Monday, Thursday is 9 to 6 is our operating hours. And Friday is 10 to 1. What we're looking to do is there's three kind of key areas for us. Uh, one is um, one is wonderkin people. <laughs> so it's like, one metric will be what percentage of Wonderkins are referred by the Wonderkins. Uh, two is uh, the value of our products, which we, we do like to sell revenue and growth. So how much revenue is our product driving for our clients? And then three is uh, our, our clients, our client growth rate. So we want to see our, our clients growing and growing with us. So looking at our client growth, looking at the, the revenue we're driving and looking at kind of Wonderkin referrals. When we hit those three metrics, we are going to eliminate Friday and we're just going to be Monday, Thursday, nine to six. And then uh, just like some people want to work at seven or eight AM, those are optional times after six optional Friday will also be an optional day when we earn that. So, and uh, I think once, once we do that, a whole bunch of other will do that. I would say in two years, um, a, a good percentage, probably North of North of 10% of technology companies will be Monday to Thursday. I mean, what you're both talking about is more cultural than it is technological, right? And, and Seth, it, it, it feels like a lot of retailers would hesitate to hire roles, senior roles remotely, but yet it opens up a vast talent pool. Is, 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 is that evolved? Is your thinking on that evolved over the past 18 months or were you always kind of oriented to finding the best people wherever and however you could find no, them? I, I think it's absolutely evolved and evolving. We don't know the answer yet. And I think we're trying to still be a little slow in not making decisions that are harder to reverse. But I think the reality is we want to get the best talent. We want to give them the best experience, though, and it's that trade-off. What I think it did do is force us to revisit the goal of an office. And we, we came to a conclusion. You know, it used to be everyone just had an office. 18 months ago, that was it. That's, you know, that's where you went. That's where you went, yeah. 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 And to some degree, I think tech companies were a little bit ahead of the curve, whether it was uh, outsourced or just people that they hired around the world, uh, because a lot of those roles were able to be highly successful. But now we're sort of saying, well, what was the goal of the office? And we came to a conclusion that's about a few things. First of all, it's pure social interactions, people going out for dinner, drinks, after work, getting to know each other on a personal level, friendships. If you think about younger generation, uh, work is so important to them. It's where you spend a ton of your time. A lot is asked of you at work. So you're creating bonds of friendship at work, and that's very important to people. The second is what I'd call that sort of work social, where you're, you you don't want to have just a call where you get on the phone, someone says, I need these three things from you, and you get off. So building those non-transactional work. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's, that's a good one. And then the third one is the sort of creative brainstorming element of it, where you want to get a group of people in a room, either from the same team or cross-functionally, and you're just going to have better ideas come from it. And that's, that's certainly when I talk to my advisors and investors who are from... Uh, an older generation, what they're saying is the biggest value that I, they think we're missing by not being in the office uh, is that sort of collaborative ideation. Then the question comes, if those are your three goals of the office, 
One, I think, is how do you measure that? I think that's a little hard. But two, how do you accomplish that? Is it going back to the traditional office? Is it having an office that's set up all for collaborative work? Is it renting out space? Is it doing offsite activities? So I think we're still in the process of figuring that out. But we're trying to solve for those goals rather than just going back to the old status quo. You know, it, it's a great point. And, and what I hear from a lot of retailers is they say, well, let's not take the old way of working and force it into the new reality. Maybe it's more offsites. Maybe it's collaborative. Uh, but, you know, work between teams is it's hard. Teams seem to be cohesive, but team to team is struggling a little bit, uh, you know, beyond your exact close team. Ryan, I wanted to get I wanted last couple of questions. I wanted to touch back on something about your career path, because on this podcast, we like to talk about the people and their careers. You went from one side of the table to the other side of the table, right? You were at Bonobos. You, you, you went from agency to client side, client side to agency side. What perspective has that given you? And, and is that advice that you would say everyone should do, at least in their career? They should yeah. be on both sides to kind of walk in well, everyone I, else's I, I shoes. I think there, there's, there's, there's things that, that people want to do. Sometimes, like, say, on a commerce side, I don't call it e-commerce, I call commerce. Uh, as I, I think in person, the retail will be more, more important than ever. I think some people, like, they want to uh, work for a brand and be a part of a brand and, and be a component in the hive there. Some people want to represent a brand that's uh, more of like a, a head of marketing, a CMO. And a CMO really should be at a brand for 10 years, honestly. It's like you're going to represent a brand. You're going to really like, represent it. Some people want to start a brand. So that's yeah. like some that's a lot longer than that. And then a lot longer people, than the average, uh, the average CMO tenure, right? <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're going to fix that. That's, that's going to evolve. And then some people want to support a lot of brands. And then some people like, want to be really ambitious, have some vision, and, and do some things on ecosystem scale. So I think it's if you want to do any of those things, you, you should work at a brand and you should try to represent a brand and get a feel for that. Understand how it works on the inside I mean, from like product and service, supply chain, marketing, advertising. You should really understand all those things. That's really important. That's your university. Uh, you're not, um, I, I'm not an advocate of going to actual university. If you want to become a marketer, I would go at 18, go, go be a marketer. Uh, don't take marketing in school. Go, go work at a brand or two and go, go ex- explore that. That's, that's what I, I, I'd recommend. Without a doubt. Well, let, let me follow that thread for a second. Um, are you, you know, whether it's college, university, there's a lot of other organizations that are certifying roles. And is that something you're open to when you hire at Wonderkin? You're not looking I, for I would, anyone I've seen who's dropped out of high school or college and started working uh, has a has serious advantage over anyone's one university. If you're going to become a lawyer or doctor, that's obviously you're going to go to school for that account. Those are things that you're going to do that. If you want to become a like a software engineer, um, you definitely should not go to school for that. Um, you're not, that that's not going to be the appropriate thing. There, there's, there's many code academies that are also amazing. Uh, they, well, they learn in three months. We'll dwarf what someone learned five years in school. But generally, it's people who are, have been programming since they were middle school, doing stuff, and then working for companies and honing their skills. Learning skills is the important thing. So um, anywhere where you're learning skills or high skills, also every single person in society is capable of high skills. And I know... My company and any other company that's doing well will hire basically infinite high scale people. So a lot of a lot of people, uh, including Elon Musk, are surprisingly worried about automation takeaway jobs. There's infinite high skill jobs, and everyone's capable of learning high skills. And people can learn high skills in six months and really hone them. So I'm looking forward to kind of high school and and things evolving to really teach high skills in different areas. Even um, as sales is a is a high skill. Business development will always be a high skill. I think there'll be more employees of retail stores than ever once they have better technology. Once you have the technology of what someone's really browsing online, what looking for, uh, you can what and you can have technology empower kind of more human stuff and recommendation. You're going to see way more people in store working there. So 
it's um, I, I look forward to the high school training. So interesting. Well, listen, it's been so fascinating speaking with both of you. Last kind of question. Uh, Seth, uh, where can folks go to learn more about Urban Stems and, and experience at urbanstems.com, uh, I believe? And where can that they learn, correct. get in touch, learn more about you? You're on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know my exact URL, but Seth Goldman, Urban <laughs> Stems, I think I'll get you pretty close. And right. urbanstems.com is our URL, and we'd be happy to have you send me a message and we'll get you something special. Yep. Fantastic. And, um, right. Yeah, the, the product's tremendous. Uh, everyone, uh, please go to wonderkin.co. We, we, we have a, a lot of really amazing open roles in, in, in all our offices. So we're really, really hiring for everything. If, if you and you know some talented people, um, that's, a, that's a good place to, good place to be and check out. So. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Conversations with Commerce Next. Great discussion. I, I look forward to, uh, to hearing more from both of you. I wish you both continued success. And once again, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, you too, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast platform, where we'll be sharing career advice and marketing strategies from e-commerce and digital marketing leaders at retailers and direct-to-consumer brands each and every episode. Commerce Next is a community, event series, and conference for marketers at retail and direct-to-consumer brands. Through our online forums, interviews, webinars, summits, and other in-person events, we harness the collective wisdom of our community to help marketers grow their businesses and advance their careers. Join Commerce Next events to meet other industry leaders and learn the latest e-commerce and marketing strategies. You can find upcoming events at commercenext.com. Have a fantastic week, everyone. If you're enjoying this interview, you may want to join us for Commerce Next IRL on September 28th, 29th, at the New York Hilton Midtown. Some of the speakers you'll be seeing including Noam Paransky, Chief Digital Officer at Tapestry, Akta Chopra, Chief Digital Officer at Alf Beauty, Matt Guerin, GM of e-commerce at Everlane, Alex Waldman, Co-Founder and Creative Director at Universal Standard, Jennifer Patrick, Global Branding and Packaging Director at Patagonia, and many more. Commerce Next IRL will cover themes such as the resurgence of brick and mortar retail and its impact on e-commerce, and how to prepare for a cookie-less future. We can't wait to get the Commerce Next community together in person and hope you'll join us. Learn more and register now at commercenext.com.